Welcome back once again for the final shear of Sefer Shoftim. Our learning is dedicated to Ewe Nishmat Rivka by Yaakov Alevi, Lucy Maya, and Rina D. Our full-year sponsors, Naomi Nitzi Hallander, a complete refuel for all Cholim, Michelle and Gary Friedman, in memory of Hannah Malka, Bat David, and Rufu Shlema for Rachel Merrill, Hinda, Bat Miriam Rivka. Our half-year sponsor, anonymously, Rufu Shlema for Menucha Tova, Bat Shoshana Chava Devora. Our Spotify sponsor for the year, anonymously, Rufu Shlema for all those injured in Eretz Yisrael. And we learn again for Rufu Shlema for Yedidya Chaim and Aviv Rivka, Chaya, Brachavi Gal, Basachal, Gita, Tila Batya, Bat Chaya Tova, Shimon Ben Elka, Shalom Ben Chaim, Chaya Sara, and Shadokhim for all those in need. In addition, it's not on the uh, dedication, but I dedicate this learning to all of us as a Mazel Tov that we completed yet another Sefer Mazel Tov. Pilegish Begiva doesn't get better even in the last installment. This is part three of a very painful story. And the sense that we get when we finish and wrap up the Perek is that there really is no winner at all in the story. Everybody loses. And so the question is, is there any final thoughts that we can grasp from this story that perhaps, perhaps can leave us with some semblance of hope going forward? And I do hope that by the time we finish the last installment of Pilegish Begiva and the final shear of Sefer Shoftim, that we'll see that there is a small, very, very small light at the end of the tunnel. And that's the hope that is going to nurture the Jewish people to continue. So we start that the Jewish people swore at Mitzvah, says the Mitzudas David, don't think that this happened now. It's telling us this now, but prior to the war, they had made this promise. What was the promise? They swore then no one would give their daughter to the people of Binyamin. That's pretty dangerous if you end up in this terrible situation where there is no one left. Now what do you do? What are you going to do when there's no one left? There's no women. There's no children. There's just these 600 men. And everybody made this promise. They swore, probably in Hashem's name, that they're not going to give Binyamin a, their daughters as wives. And the people came to Beit El, and they sit there in the evening before God, and they, they cry terribly. The Jewish people are broken. They recognize that what happened in Giva and what they did was absolutely terrible. But listen to what they say. And I think that this is so important to hear how they say it. Pasagimel. Vayomiru. And they say, Lama Hashem Elokei Yisrael. Haitazopi Yisrael. Lipakeda Yom Yisrael Shevet Echad. God, how could you have done this? How could you have allowed one Shevet from Yisrael to be lost? And we all have to really be bothered by what they're saying. What do you mean? Why did God make this happen? Didn't they do this? It's the blame game. The the Levi says, oh, it's not my fault. You know whose fault it is? It's your fault. The people of Giva. Giva says, what do you want from us? It's not us. Or Binyamin says, it's not us. It's Giva. But they're one people. Let us deal with it. 
everybody's pointing a finger at someone else, but it's pretty, pretty strong to say, why did God do this? God, this is your fault. They didn't own their part. Listen to what the Malbim says. The Malbim says, They say, listen, God, if we hadn't lost two times, we would not have destroyed Binyamin in its totality. We would have just punished the perpetrators and those people that supported them. We would not have Haman-style tried, or actually accomplished, killing the children, the women, and utter destruction. Because Binyamin had destroyed 40,000, they killed 40,000 Jews, they wanted to exact revenge. And they sit there before God. And they're thinking, and they're thinking, Why is it that we lost? It doesn't make any sense. What's going on? Says the Malbim. Malbim says that they nearly wiped out the entire Shevet and they're broken. But they say, God, if you had let us win right away, we wouldn't have had to exact revenge the same way. Really? Is that fair? Is that honest? I'm not sure. So what happens? The next morning they get up. They get up nice and early, and they build a mizbeach, and they bring korbanot. Now, where are they? We're told that they are in Beit El. Now, this is a question we had last time. Is Beit El Shiloh, or is it not? Now, if you say that it's Shiloh, then we are stuck with a pretty big question. Why is it that they have to build a mizbeach, what's the purpose of it? So the Mitsudas David writes, no mishkan. He recognizes that this is a question you're going to have. Why are they building a mizbeach? And he says, it's no sah. They had a mizbeach, they're adding another one on. Says the Ralbag, the reason why they were doing it is, they wanted to bring korbanot, they were checking with God, and after God had saved them from this terrible calamity, and everything that had gone wrong with Binyamin, they do this in kavod Hashem as a way of showing honor to God. It's interesting how we sometimes think that we're honoring God by doing things that we think is fit. But the truth is, the ultimate way to honor God would have been don't get into the civil war in the first place, keep the Torah and the mitzvot. Stop with the idol worship. All of these things that they should have and could have done, they don't do. But they say, we're going to build another Mizbeach. And that's going to be Kavod Shemayim. Okay. So now what happens next? They say, 
who didn't go up? Of all the tribes of Israel, who did not go up? And then they say, oh, wait, 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 wait. We remember we made a promise. We swore, we had it, we swore by God that whoever didn't go up would die. You sit there and you think to themselves, are, are you stupid? What are you thinking? Swear that Binyamin will not be able to marry us. And by the way, what if the Malvim is right? They had won right away. They still wouldn't have been able to marry Binyamin. Now you'll say, okay, fine, but Binyamin would have still had internally, they could have um, continued to marry and populate. All the Jews have to go up. And if they don't go up, then what's going to happen? The Jews that don't go up, you're going to kill? And it seems as though there's like a correlation. They're like, wait a second. We have this problem. We can't marry Binyamin. That's one promise. And we have this other promise that says, if you didn't go out, we're going to kill you. Why this correlation? So let's try to develop that a little bit. But first, let's understand what's going on here. The Malbim has a very, very, very interesting point. He says the following. The next day, they sit there and say, why is God so angry with us? Shouldn't it be obvious? God is angry because you had a civil war. God is angry because the people had stooped to the level that you could have a, sh- a city like Giv'ah that would do what Giv'ah did. But they don't see that. They bring Korbanot. You know what? We're going to bring Korbanot. God is going to be happy. God is going to be happy. It is one of the treyas, I don't remember which one, who says, I don't want your Korbanot. I don't want your Korbanot. Maybe it's not the treyas, I want the Nevi'im. I don't want your Korbanot. What do I want? I want your hearts. It's one of the treyas of it. It says, Kiru Levavchem. Tear your hearts, not your clothing. It should not be external actions, but it's internally. You need to think, what are you doing? The Malbim continues. And they think back, wait a second. What happened at I? went to Milchemes Mitzvah. Interestingly, they calculate, according to the Malbim, that their attack on Binyamin was a milchemes mitzvah. And they fell before their enemy. It was because Achan stole from the Cherem against Yoshua's promise. They said, maybe, maybe someone sinned like this. And then says the Malbim, what do they say? They say, I know why we lost. 40,000 Jews died because there was a group of people that did not go up to answer the call to fight Binyamin. That, my friends, is sick. So they're contemplating, says the Malbin, and they're thinking these two conflicting thoughts. How do we take care of Binyamin? And how do we justify the fact that we've lost? Again, there's no look in the mirror an acknowledgement that probably messed up. This is probably on us. No, no. There's a lot of, we're going to play the blame game. They felt bad for Binyamin. 
One of the shvatim is going to be cut off. What are we going to do for them to give them wives? These leftover 600 men, how will they find wives? We swore by God that we will not give them our daughters. Who from amongst the people did not go up to Mitzpah? They realize, wait a second. There's this town, Yavesh Kilad. On the other side of the Jordan River, they didn't come. And the count, the whole Jewish army is there. 400,000 men, minus those that were killed. 360,000 men. And they say, no, anybody here from Yavesh Gilad, if you're here, come step forward now. And there's silence. Crickets. No one shows up. Now, at this point in time, I think before we see what happens, let's come up with some suggestions. Binyamin can't find wives. You need a solution. Any suggestions? So, probably the best idea is if you have a shvua, if you have a swear, a promise, that by God's name, that's not going to work well for you, what should you do? Just revoke the ned there. That's all you have to do. Why is it that they refuse to do that? No, no, we have to find a different solution. That's their suggestion. We're going to have to look for another one. But Hatar's and would seem to be an easy one. Another possibility. Is there any way you could find other women? Maybe converts. I don't know. There's got to be some better solution. But they come up with an idea. And I, I want to share with you beforehand, it is a terrible idea. In fact, the synonyms are a bad idea. It's a terrible idea. It's a wrong idea. It's a stupid idea. It's not a good idea. It's a horrible idea. All of those together and then some. What do they do? They send 12,000 troops from amongst the Jewish people. And they command them saying, Go and kill all the people of Yavesh Gil. Ravigal Ariel says something that I think is so important to hear. They just don't get it. Besides that, that it's a bad idea. The thought is we're going to kill the Yavesh Gilad and what? Kill all the men and all the women that have uh, that are not virgins. But you have all the virgin women. All of those women could marry into the people of Binyamin. Ravigal says they don't get it. You need to repair Binyamin. So what do you do? You got to figure out something else. They don't realize that they too are guilty. They're not ready to understand and to buy into that. So rather than begin to repair, they're like, wait a second, we have these people of Yavesh Gilad. And you know what? They did not do the right thing. They didn't go out to war. They didn't join us in this 
moment of yachdut, they deserve to die. Doesn't seem like a good plan at all, at all, at all. And yet, that's what they're going to do. So sad. So sad. Because there probably had to be a better way. Now let's take a look at and then it happens to be when they wipe out all of the city of Yavesh Gilad, they find 400 virgin women. Alas, that's not going to work. You only have 400 women, there's 600 men. What are you going to do? And this is what they struggle with. Now, when we read Pasuk Yud, and we hear about 12,000 people, and they're going to kill everybody, and then they spare the, the, um, the virgins, this should be a, a story that sounds familiar to us. We should feel like we've heard it before, because that's what happens when the Jewish people attack Midian. They attack Midian, just to give you a Brief, quick summary. Moshe Rabbeinu, towards the end of his leadership, the Jews are in a place called Shittim. It's the end of Parshas, Balak, beginning of Pinchas. That's where they are. They're in Shittim. And what happens? They hot Bilam, tries to curse the Jewish people. He's unsuccessful. He's about to leave and he says to Balak, listen, I'm going to give you one piece of advice. You want to win this war? Yeah, I want to win this war. There's only one way to win it. God hates immoral behavior. If you could figure out a way to unlock their immorality, you win. What do they do? They open up a market and they sell goods at cheap prices. The Jew is getting ready to come into the land of Israel knowing that they can't attack Moab. Okay, it's an opportunity to interact with the local people. They come in to buy and the Medrash offers that perhaps there were not such attractive women in the front of the store and in the back of the store there were much more attractive women who said, come, I'll give you a better price. And they're talking to those women and the women say to them, listen, I'll give it to you, but I I want you to bow down to my idol and you can sleep with me all at once. What happens is there all of a sudden is a calamity, a disaster, and 24,000 Jewish people die. Of course, Pinchas puts a stop to it when he spears Zimri and Cosby in the midst of their act together he catches them having relations. He goes into the tent, kills them, brings them out on a spear so everybody can see what happened. So nobody will say, oh, Pinchas is crazy. Pinchas says, look. And then in Parsha's Matos, we're told, go fight the Midianim. How? 12,000 people. Why 12,000 people? 1,000 per Shevet. Each Shevet is going to avenge that which was lost in the hands of the Midianim. And they bring back all the virgin girls. Moshe is so upset. Why did you bring back the women? They kill everyone but the virgin women. Sorry, they bring back all the women. He says, that was your whole problem. That's the story of Midian. So the question is, what does it have to do with our story? Why were we connected? Rabbi Hatton says the same way that last week we have echoes of I, we have echoes here today. Echoes today of the story of Midian. Why do we have echoes of the story of Midian? We have echoes of the story of Midian because 
Because, very simply, once again, the Jews have it wrong. The Jews are fighting. They're fighting the wrong enemy. They're fighting each other. We're, we're taking a story of Midian where they're avenging those that deserve to die because they've caused calamity to the Jewish people. And they make a moral equivalency between them and Yavish Kilad. Same way that I, who is Milchemet Mitzvah, we have to fight them. They make an equation with the people of Binyamin. Rahatan points out that their moral compass is pretty, is pretty broken when you continue to fight each other in such a way and you justify it. You justify it that it's the actions of God. Now, even with this plan, which is a terrible idea, why are you killing more Jews? They don't even win because they're still 200 short. So now what do they do? How are you going to win now? You still have to find women for these 200, women for these 200 men that don't have anyone to marry. Pasuk Yod Gemel. By Shlachukal Aydavi, the rule of Vene Ben Yamin, Asher Besel, Rimon, by Kulam Shalom. And the Ada, the, the entire congregation, they come and they speak to the Bene Ben Yamin that are in Selarimon. Remember, they hunker down in Selarimon and they're like, we're not going anywhere. They hide themselves there to protect them. What happens? So they they call to them like Rulahem Bishalom. What why? What does that mean? So again, the Malbim says, after they found the solution, we have 400 women, at least two-thirds of you will be okay. And they gave them these women. Okay, They decimated Yavesh Gilad, and then they gave their daughters away to Binyamin, who are the tribe that was just convicted of these terrible, heinous crimes. You just sit there, and you're like, what is going on? This is what they say. They say this is for the best of everybody. We don't want to have any little bit of problems in our shevet. Because there was a Kabbalah, there was a Mesorah, that the that if if you didn't have all the Shvatim together, they all weren't alive and well. And that's how they justify everything that they're going to do. Again, you just sit there. You scratch your head. You say, how? How could they be so morally bankrupt? There are brothers. And this is not one little group of Jewish people. This is the Hamonam. That's what they all say. They need to come up with another plan. Binyamin accepts this uh, olive branch. But the, the nation felt bad for Binyamin. Because God had done, made a parrot. He had made, made a, a breach. In so what happens? What do we do? We have 200 people that still need to get married. We have to find the solution. There has to be some way that we could save them. And then they say, They said, well, what are we supposed to do? 
We swore that cursed is the one who gives his wife, his daughter, uh, wife to Binyamin. Again, they have choices. You didn't have to kill Yavish Kilai. Why can't they come up with a solution called Hatarat Nidarim? Now we know that we saw that by Yiftach, it's the same thing. Yiftach comes home and his daughter comes out after he swears by God that the first thing that comes out of his house is going to be brought as a Korban. And you sit there saying to yourself, why? Why doesn't Yiftach have the, the brains, the courage to say, I could, I could annul my vow? And this, all the more so, to like 200 men that can't find a wife. Nobody? Nobody's moral compass pointed in the direction of, let's do this? Apparently not. So what do they say? They say that there is a holiday to God in Shiloh. It's an annual holiday. It's to the north of Beitel. The east of the sun. Along the road that goes up from Beitel Shechem towards Shechem. Uminegev Lilvona. And to the south of Livona. That Pasuk is very long. And we don't need all of that. So first, let's let's try to understand two parts of it. First part is, Chag Hashem B'Shiloh. What is this holiday in Shiloh? So maybe it's one of the holidays that we know, like the Shal Shagalim. Tasmikra says it's two Ba'av. Chag HaBetzir B'Sof It's at the end of the summer, it is the holiday of the conclusion of the harvest of the grapes. Perhaps that's what's going on here. So a lot of grapes, maybe a little bit of wine, there's some women. Chag Hashem B'Shilol. Now I want you to remember the word miyamim yamima, because that word is going to be a word that will be a big part of Perak Aleph of Shmuel, which is next week. Perak Aleph of Shmuel, Miyamim Yamima. So before we, we're putting on the back burner, we're not going to address that till next week. But why do we need these directions? Now, if you look at the map, these are all the places that we need in our Perak. Maybe we don't need Mitzvah. But it's identifying where is Shiloh. It is North of Beitel. Look, Selarimon is not far from there. It is north of Beitel along the road. There is a windy road. It is the Highway 60. It goes from outside of Yerushalayim. You could pick it up by Giv'ah, by Piskat Zev. And it goes all the way up. It winds around. You pass Beitel. And then eventually, you come to Shiloh. And it tells us that it's on, it's on the way to Shiloh, Shiloh is on the way to Shechem, and it's just south of Livona. Meaning, if you hit Livona, you've gone too far. Amazingly, there is a place just north of Shiloh today that has a name similar to that. And I believe, if I recall correctly, there is an Arab town there. There's a lot of Arab towns there. But the Arab town that's there, or it's an old Arab town, the name sounds like Livona. 
Now, when we try to identify places in Tanakh, nowadays, the Arab names that had been in cities for many hundreds, if not thousands of years, sometimes very helpful. Because if the name sounds similar to what it was in Tanakh, then we kind of rely on that with other identifying characteristics. I hope and I pray that in two plus years, when we go and start touring Eretz Yisrael together, that we're able to go to Shiloh safely and happily and soundly because it is one of the most amazing places. It's a beautiful, beautiful archaeological dig. And there's some pretty wild stuff there that makes it pretty convincing that it is the Shiloh of our Tanakh. Why is it giving us directions? Why do I need that? Says Das Mikro. This is not in the people that are saying, right, the, the Ziknei who come up with the solution. How are we going to save Binyamin? They're not giving these directions. They're saying, Stop. And then, in parentheses, it's giving us the directions. Why is it giving us the directions? They knew where Shiloh was. Shiloh is 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 destroyed at the end of the time of the Shoftim. By the time the Sefer is written, by the time Sefer Shoftim was written, people didn't know where it was. And therefore, it's giving us directions. This is not the only place in Tanakh that we have that. There are other places in Tanakh, Tanakh that give us directions to help in such a situation. That is one answer. I'd like to share with you a different answer. Yes, I'm the map. Do we really need a map? Unlikely. Now, again, if what Dot Mikra is saying is the answer we want to go with, then fine. I need the map for the people that are reading it later on. But I want to share with you a different answer. One of my one of my favorite days of our four-day trip with our small group um, at the end of uh, our Tanakh Siom round one before we started this new amazing group um, was our day at Shiloh. The picture on the right, if you're not able to look at it because you're on Spotify or you are driving or whatever, Chaval, it is a absolutely stunning picture of Shiloh. It was the most beautiful day, white clouds on a beautiful blue sky. And we, we found ourselves davening in this huge area of Shiloh. It was really, really very powerful. And we spent that day with Arki Stamen. Some of you might be familiar with him. You might have used him as a tour guide. Some of you might be more recently familiar with him because he has a powerful presence as a chayal on social media. And he encourages people to do different things each uh, each month, each week. So Arki shared the following, which I also heard from Rabbi Alex Israel, and I'm sure others, is that this pasuk is giving us directions. I'm the map is needed not for future generations. This is not so that one day when they read Sefer Shoftim, you'll be like, oh, I know where it is because I have all these other places. No, it's because in that day, they didn't know where Shiloh was. That's right. In that day, they had no idea where Shiloh was because people stopped going to Shiloh. The fact that people were in Shiloh now is an anomaly. But Shiloh had fallen to a place where no one was visiting it anymore. 
that's significant also because of what we're going to see in Shmuel Aleph. But they needed to give directions to people because people are like, where are we supposed to go? Shiloh, I don't know where Shiloh is. And they say, Shiloh is da 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 this in this place. And everybody was invited to come to Shiloh. And they tell the people of Binyamin, the 200 of you that don't have wives, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go and be um, lay a ambush in the Kremim. There's a lot of, of vineyards and grapes in Shiloh. When you see the Jewish girls that are dancing in circles in Shiloh, jump out of the Kremim and grab a wife and run to Eretz Binyamin. Why is this a good idea? Why would anyone think that this is a good idea? The Jewish people are making up by saying, oh yeah, just kidnap 200 girls. Why would it be a good idea? If I hadn't ended by Israel, both point out, this still seems wrong. You have a solution. It's Hatarat Nidarim, but you don't. There's for some strange reason. They just feel like we can't go that route. We make stupid promises and we don't keep our word. Again, that's an important piece to remember because next week we're going to see someone else who makes a promise. And it's the first time in a long time we're going to hear a promise that doesn't sound stupid. It's a promise that sounds elevating. It's a promise that sounds exalting. It's a promise that sounds appropriate. And that's what happens. So bin, just an interesting point. Binyamin's brachas, binyamin zev yitraf. That's what Yaakov says, that you're like foxes that grab. They were always chotvim. He predicted it. But here they were doing it l'shma. In contrast to the action in Giva where they were also grabbing, but that was a sin. Um, interestingly, there is a uh, there's a, a point made. Why did the women all dance out there? That what the women would do there is they would borrow each other's clothing and everyone would look nicely the same. That's what the Gemara says. And why was that? Created a certain equity. You're looking for a shidduch and you see everybody's wearing a white dress. It's not she's wearing a white dress that costs $10,000 and this one's wearing a white dress that's shabby. They're all borrowing each other's clothes. You didn't know the socioeconomic status of the girl that you were going to see there. But Vigal Ariel suggests a beautiful idea. Maybe, maybe, and maybe this is the hope at the end of the book. Maybe this is our first chance at reunification. Why? Because no one cares about the class of the girl. Everybody looks like each other, and they help each other to achieve that. It's a nice idea, perhaps. What's going to happen if their fathers or brothers come to fight with you? Say, what do you want? We didn't get the Yavish Gilad girls. So we're, we're not in a good place that way. We didn't have the luck that way. And you guys made this terrible promise. It's your fault. They marry the women from the circle dancers that they had stolen. Again, the fact that it says the word gazalu means that the, the Torah is giving us, it's weighing in. 
and it's judging them, and it's not judging them favorably. And they go back, and they resettle their land, and they build their cities, again, the ones that have been destroyed, and they live there. And everybody goes back to their homes, and their families, everybody goes home to their nachla. It is actually very similar to the way the last psukim of Yoshua end. Everyone goes home. And it makes you wonder if they could all go home the same way they did at the end of Sefer Yoshua, either of two things. Either that is a beautiful sense of nechama. Look, they're back to the days of Yoshua. But perhaps, unfortunately, you could suggest a different answer. Is that the Jews really didn't learn anything. It's exactly where they were the last time. And now we get one last puzzle. In these days, there was no king, and everybody did exactly as they wanted. Whatever was right in their eyes, they did. And that's, of course, the fourth time that we've had a similar refrain since the beginning of Perek Yud Zion. And yeah, and we we kind of wonder what is it trying to tell us? There simply is no king. Is it saying that if there was a king, things would be better? It's a great question. Let's take a look at the Radak. The Radak says, Well, how, sh- how should we understand this puzzle? <speaking in Hebrew> We needed Shmuel to come. Shmuel is the hope. And Shmuel is going to bring the Jews back. And Shmuel is going to fix all the wrong and everything that they had they messed up. If Yoshua had the Jews here and at the end of Shoftim were here, Shmuel is going to begin to rehabilitate the Jews and bring them back up. That is the Radax answer. I want to share with you the Abarbanel. The Abarbanel says if they had a king, none of this would have happened. Why? You would not have had such a balagan, such a hefkervel, such a craziness could not have happened if there was a king. I love this Abarbanel because the Abarbanel says something at the very end. It's his last comment. And he says, I started my commentary on Sefer Shoftim on Rosh Chodesh Kislev. And on Hanukkah, 25 days later, he says, I am saying my Perush. Halavai, halavai that we could accomplish so much in 25 days. 25 days that Barabinel wrote his amazing work on our Sefer. Is this really an answer? Is this really a solution? And if there was a king, this wouldn't have happened? Who wrote this Sefer? Shmuel wrote this Sefer. If Alex Israel points out, Shmuel wrote the Sefer for what purpose? He's the one that's going to appoint a king. He's the first one. He points Shaul, and again, when we learn Shaul, even though Shaul has many faults, one of the most 
fascinating things about Shaul will be the fact that so many of these things that they do wrong here, Shaul fixes in the future. But okay, what happens? Shmuel says, yeah, you really think so? You think that a king will fix it? It sounds too good to be true. But a king won't fix it. See, your problem is in your actions. Shmuel says, yes, when I'm here, it's going to be better. And Shaul is going to make it better. But it's only possible to be better if you change your ways. You don't need a king. You need to behave in a way that's different. If you do, if you could behave in both a united way, that's been Adam Lechaveiro, and if you could behave in an appropriate way, Ben Adam Lamakom, can you imagine? Can you imagine what the Jewish people will be? Mazel tov, everyone, on the completion of Sefer Shoftim. It's really been a remarkable, albeit depressing, journey together. I look forward next week to sharing with you beginning of Sefer Shmuel. A little bit of song. Hopefully the music works. A little bit of song to uh, celebrate together. Thank you again. Really, really appreciate you uh, joining us. My last call to you to uh, ask people, share our uh, share our link with others. If you feel that they would enjoy our shir as well. And Amir Tzashem, we'll start Shmuel Aleph next week. Have a wonderful week and keep walking in the ways of the prophets.